Okay. So, um, hello everybody. Welcome to our first meeting of Pride Garden Voices. Um, you can see the full the screen, I think. Well, um, sorry. Uh, Bright Garden Voices, uh, as you all might have already read, um, is a project that intends to, intends to provide a platform for constructive dialogue between Armenians and Azerbaijanis. Uh, we will be hosting Zoom meetings uh, where guests from both sides will share their experiences and ideas concerning all matters relating to Azerbaijani and Armenian conflicts and issues. Each meeting will also host an audience which will be able to propose questions or comments to the moderators to be voiced. Uh, the meetings will be recorded and made available online. This project is the initiative of three enthusiasts for peace and dialogue who want to build bridges between Armenians and Azerbaijanis. Um, we are neither affiliated with nor funded by any organization for this undertaking. Um, so first of all, let me introduce myself. Uh, my name is Diego Arduan. I'm from Argentina, Buenos Aires. Uh, um, being from Buenos Aires, I've always been exposed to the big Armenian community that we have here in, in Buenos Aires. So that somehow started some kind of interest for me on Armenian issues. And I started to study them during my studies in geography in, in Buenos Aires. However, since it's the diaspora Armenia, I was always more focused on, you know, like Turkey and Armenia and I had been involved in some um, issues, I mean, some activism for reconciliation and things like this and between Turkey and Armenia. Um, and then during this uh, latest conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, I realized that uh, this kind of um, undertakings could also be done between Armenia and Azerbaijan. So that's kind of a little bit what started this idea and I was lucky to have two great people uh, join in this uh, project. So I would like to invite them to introduce themselves a little bit. Aidan, if you wanna introduce yourself. Yes, um, well, first of all, warm welcome everyone. I'm really happy to see uh, so many people. Uh, my name is Aidan, I am uh, 28 years old. I was born in Baku, Azerbaijan. I grew up there and I uh, moved to the Netherlands to study. Um, this is also where I currently work. I work in the field of uh, IT and data. I'm not uh, affiliated with any organization and I'm not here to represent uh, Azerbaijan in any official way. I'm just here as myself, as an individual and any opinions I might express are my own. Um, being Azerbaijani, even though I'm not from Karabakh myself, um, I've grown up with a lot of pain and uh, trauma and a feeling of injustice that I think a lot of people uh, will recognize. Um, for me, as for most Azerbaijani people, it is something very personal. So during this past war, um, when it broke out, I plunged into the depth of it in the social media. And um, being able to witness all these things, uh, even from far away, felt uh, uh, quite traumatizing, especially having um, parts of my family still living in the areas uh, in Azerbaijan that were heavily bombed during the um, war was uh, quite difficult. 
But also I realized during this war that uh, being on social media and uh, engaging with people from different countries, uh, including uh, people from Armenia, uh, that I'm from this generation born in the 90s that hasn't really seen or uh, interacted so much with the face of the with the face of the enemy, so to say. So during this conflict, I realized that there is quite a few people um, that are willing to sit down and discuss with you and talk about the issues that we have uh, without necessarily having to agree. And that's actually fine. So this really inspired uh, me <laughs> to uh, get involved with uh, uh, Diego and Arnold for this undertaking and to facilitate discussions between uh, people um, that are Armenian or Azerbaijani or somehow related to this conflict to sit down and talk to uh, each other about these issues. That was uh, on me and I'll pass the word to Arnold. Thank you. Uh, hello everyone and welcome to our first meeting. I am Arnold. Uh, I am joining from the United States where I have spent most of the past two decades. I'm Armenian. Um, I'm a PhD candidate in history, and I also TA and teach courses. My research mainly concerns the late antique Iranian world and the Caucasus, uh, but my studies also deal with the relationships between narrative violence and group identity. How did I end up here? Well, after the horrible war and all the toxic rhetoric that accompanied it on various platforms, I wanted to facilitate more constructive dialogue among Armenians and Azerbaijanis. I was not alone and that is how I met Diego and Aidan. I want to emphasize that I am only a moderator in this program. If I express an opinion, I am only, I am representing myself only and not any nation or any group. The wounds and losses of the recent war are still very fresh, especially for Armenians, where there were a lot of losses. On top of that, there is the brutal POW crisis. It is not despite all of these things, but in my opinion, because of this difficult post-war situation, that ordinary people from both sides deserve to have their voices heard. That said, um, let, us, let us move on to the format. Diego, can you change the slide? Oh, there it is, my bad. So the format, in each meeting, we will usually host uh, two guests from each side or individuals somehow involved with matters relating to Armenia and Azerbaijan. Each meeting will cover a different topic where our guests will answer questions and engage in dialogue. The audience can write questions for the hosts to ask the guests. And if the, the audience will be allowed to ask questions themselves as long as they have their cameras and microphones turned on. And lastly, the meetings will be recorded and made available online. Let's go to Aidan for the house rules. Yes, um, so for this uh, format of having dialogue between uh, people of, uh, let's say on both sides, 
we realized that there is a need to set up some basic house rules that we can all uh, refer to and follow. And I'll just walk you through them uh, quickly, but they're also on your screens right now. So uh, first and foremost, we are not gonna use any insults, slurs, or disrespectful language. That's gonna be an absolute no-go. Um, uh, during the meetings, you are able to ask questions to the moderators um, and then uh, we can give the word to you, but uh, we don't condone provocative or aggressive questions. Another important point to remember is that agreeing to disagree is okay and sometimes it's key. <laughs> uh, and denialism is not tolerated and it will not be discussed. I think that speaks for itself. Uh, let's try to empathize with each other before we, uh, or rather than making any accusations. And uh, let's not use discriminatory or uh, generalizing statements about any ethnicity. So um, in the way you phrase your um, uh, conversations, please try to make sure that you don't generalize to the entire um, country or nation. And finally, uh, we are here just as individuals to speak to each other and everyone is responsible for themselves. They're representing themselves, not their governments, not their nations. So I think it's uh, Diego next. Yes. So um, we're gonna go briefly through the agenda. Um, we just introduced the project, introduced the moderators, Aidan and Arnold. And now we're gonna introduce our guest, today's uh, meeting theme. And after uh, around half an hour discussion with our guest, we're gonna uh, go to the questions from the audience, which will be sent to me. And I will uh, choose them uh, based on how much time we have left and that they comply with the rules and that they are related to the subject. And um, also you can state in the questions if you are willing to ask yourself with camera and mic, so we know already we, we're going to prioritize those questions as well. And after those around, we expect 10 to 15 minutes of, uh, so to say, semi-open discussion. We will have some closing words and that will be it. We expect this meeting to take in total around between uh, one hour or one and a half. Um, so um, I think that's enough for the, no, today's meeting, right? So as you might have seen on our flyer, done by Aidan, thank you very much. Um, today's um, uh, meeting theme is just an introduction to dialogue. It's more abstract, so to say. Um, we, are, we want this first meeting to set the tone for the following meetings that we intend to do. We, we plan to, do, to continue this. This is not a one-time thing. Um, and the idea behind uh, this meeting is that during the since the beginning of the war we have most of the people who have been following the conflict have seen how many webinars and you know discussions have been held with scholars from azerbaijan from armenia uh, expressing their opinions um, and we thought why it always has to be intellectuals why cannot just like regular citizens also talk to each other and also kind of engage a little bit more than those uh webinars where people were most just expose their opinion at, at, at some point only and not really talk to each other. Um, so we thought this is just something like that, except for uh, normal citizens, so to say. Um, and for this reason, we invited our two guests 
um, we're going to introduce them now. Uh, but um, with the idea behind that, as long as we keep in mind that we can be respectful with each other, we should be able to talk to each other. Okay, so I think now you can we, we will introduce the guest. Yes, so first off, let me introduce Hrayer. Uh, uh, Hrayer is our guest. Um, he's originally from Yerevan, he's 33 years old. Um, he studied economics and uh, worked as a journalist on economic topics. And currently he's uh, living in the Netherlands uh, for the past several years where he's also following a research master's in philosophy. I hope I did you justice. Uh, we can move on to Umit. Uh, Diego, do you want to keep the screen shared? No, I, or? I, will, I will stop after we... Okay, great. So our next guest is Umid, and Umid is joining us from Baku. He has a degree in American studies, and he is currently an English teacher. Thank you, Umid, for joining us. Thank you for inviting. Of course, and I will just start off the questions with Umid himself. So let's start with you. Um, how has the latest war affected you personally and the people around you? Uh, well, of course, uh, I have to say that uh, it didn't affect me positively. I mean, of course, it had a very negative effect on me. I mean, first of all, I uh, all day I was just checking Twitter to see what's going on. I mean, what news is coming, uh, losses and uh, uh, shellings of the cities and so on. I mean, of all this stuff, of course, it was very traumatic. Uh, but at the same time, I have to say that uh, after this war, I have I started to be more interested in the conflict. I mean, before the wars, to be honest, I wasn't so much interested because I was thinking that, okay, it's just a frozen conflict. Probably I will never see the war again. And so I didn't so much care about it. But then I started to realize that... Uh, after this war, after the result, uh, as a result of this war, actually, uh, these two societies will have to, you know, interact more. I mean, more than before. That's why I started to be more interested in interacting with the uh, people from the other side. So uh, that can be the only positive result of the war for me personally. But apart from that, as I can say, uh, it was of course a very tough time for me and. Uh, uh, psychologically, I was affected so much, and uh, pro I think that uh, it's the same for everybody, everyone in the uh, areas living in this uh, conflict. Thank you for that insight, Umid. And how about you, Harir? How did the how did this latest war affect you, the people around you, and your community? Uh, you're muted, Harir. Yeah, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it also affected me personally a lot. Uh, I couldn't concentrate on doing anything, work or study or something else. And I was checking news all the day. And uh, sometimes even it was very difficult to sleep. And uh, some of my relatives uh, participated in war and two of them also were injured. And uh, uh, yeah, it, it was very traumatic experience. Uh, 
especially I think also because as Umid says, I, I didn't expect the war. I thought that um, at the end, some solution, peaceful solution will be found, but unfortunately that wasn't the case. And yeah, even after the war, uh, it took me almost, I think two months to recover and going back to my work and study and other stuff. Thank you. Thank you for your insight. Very interesting. Um, Aydan will ask the next, next question. Yes. Um, so the question I have is um, same for both of you, but let's start with Umid. Uh, what kind of interactions uh, have you had with people from the other sides? Um, so it could be you know before, uh, during, or after the war. Okay. Uh, like I said, I mean before the war, I wasn't interested in the uh, conflict almost at all. So I didn't have uh, so much interest in interacting with people from Armenia. I mean, for me, they were just, you know, uh, some foreigner people, I mean, foreigners. So it wasn't any uh, anything different for me, but uh, there was only one, I had only one uh, follower from Armenia and I also followed him. And uh, the interesting thing is that uh, I also met him because of my, you know, sarcastic tweets. <laughs> so uh, that Diego knows <laughs> his sarcastic tweet things about me. So, um, but after that, uh, during the war, I started to be uh, interacting with some people. I, uh, I can also uh, share their names, for example, Ruben, uh, also, uh, uh, there was uh, so there were some other people who I started to follow because I saw that uh, they are you know writing something reasonable and also respectful so I can learn something about uh, Armenian perspective on the conflict and also I started some people from Azerbaijan who are, were also writing about the conflict before that I didn't follow such people I mean for me it was uh, nothing uh, it wasn't something interesting but then uh, during the war, I started to follow people from both sides, actually, who are writing about such things. And uh, I also have to say that uh, after the war, uh, like in November, I sometimes ha uh, had, you know, uh, kind of arguments with people from the other side about things that we didn't agree. But then I started seeing that actually, uh, it's not a good starting point because you know uh, we just had we just got to know each other. So what's the point of uh, starting with this controversial issues? Uh, rather than uh, talking about controversial issues, we first have to settle what are the things that we agree on. So uh, I changed my perspective about this and start to follow also people who had different opinions uh, about this topic. Um, and uh, I started to see that it's actually good for me because uh, before that I only followed the Armenians whom I agree. <laughs> but then I started to follow the Armenians also who I don't agree at all. Uh, so that's the way uh, the war uh, changed my, uh, let's say, perspective about this conflict. And did your interactions um... Uh, were they uh, changing in the in terms of uh, the light, like a positive or more negative? Uh... Yes, I, I can say that it changed into you know in a, into more positive, uh, say tones. So uh, we started to uh, 
see that actually, uh, even though we don't agree about some things, we still can can uh, respectfully talk to each other. Uh, you know, before that, for example, once I remember <laughs> with one guy, I had a bit tough argument. I mean, uh, I I actually thought that he was just a, a troll and bot and uh, writing some hateful stuff. That's why I also. Uh, started talking like him. So then I apologized and I said it, it wasn't necessary. Actually, I didn't have to do that. So, but, and now uh, I, when I see someone from, for example, from the other side who writes something, for example, unacceptable for me, I don't actually so much care about it. I mainly start to uh, try to see, uh, you know, something positive also from the other side to see, you know, what kind of, uh, constructive dialogue we can make we can have okay what, what's your perspective on that uh, uh what kind of interactions did you have with uh, Azerbaijan? during during and after the war i didn't have any interactions so this is the first interaction after the war uh, but i had some interactions between 2010 and 2015 and last time when I uh, had some chat was 2018 during the uh, Armenian Revolution. Uh, one of my classmates with whom I studied in Georgian uh, school, uh, Georgian Institute of Public Affairs in Chipa, uh, he texted me. He uh, he were uh, uh, saying that yeah that we should be careful and this type of stuff. And, uh, but most of my interactions again were from 2010 to 2015 in the format of mostly seminars organized for journalists or for political activists, young political activists. And, uh, my, and it was very diverse. My experience with them was very diverse. Most of the time uh, they were very like, these uh, our interactions were very cold, and uh, we can even say I can even say that it, there weren't any interaction. In some cases, it went very well, and in some cases, it went very bad. Uh, I can tell what case was very bad and what case was very good. If I don't know if it's interesting. But yeah, my uh, my uh, overall opinion was that it's very diverse. People are very different. And uh, another opinion also was that actually in the sense of values and everyday life concepts and understanding and worldview, we are too similar to each other. Uh, yeah, that's that's the main uh, thing which I uh, got from these interactions. So what do you think made the ones that were um, positive positive and the ones that were negative sort of negative? What, what was the difference there? I think uh, it's, uh, it's worldview of the uh, people, especially how much they are nationalistic. If they are too much nationalistic, then uh, it doesn't go well. If they try to see the people, uh, not only the, through the national identity uh, point of view, but through other lenses, 
like as an individual, in that case, it uh, can go quite well. Right, thanks for sharing your experiences. Um, if you don't have anything else to comment on this uh, topic, I think we can move uh, to the yeah. next question. All right, great. So let's go back to Umid. And I'm going to ask you if, do you think there is something about your personal background or your experiences that encourage you to speak to the other side or those who don't agree with you with respect? Uh, well, like Rai said, I think it's uh, mostly, it mostly depends on your uh, political uh, ideology. Uh, for example, in my case, uh, as I'm a libertarian, I'm individualistic person. I always see people uh, as an individual. I don't see from the lenses of a national identity. So, so when I talk to an Armenian or, for example, Georgian or Turkish person, uh, I don't see them as, uh, let's say, Turkish or Armenian. Uh, I just see them as an individual. And I see if I agree with this person or not. And uh, I don't, I try at least, you know, it's, of course, uh, no matter how individualistic one person is, of course, uh, sometimes we have some, you know, let's say biases or prejudices about prejudices about many people. So, but uh, as a rational person, I always try to uh, uh, remove these uh, barriers from my mind and try to see people as an individual. And that's how I, uh, I can, let's say, talk to them. I mean, uh, I don't, when they say something, I don't see any, uh, let's say, <laughs> bad intentions behind this, let's say, tweet. I think this is one of the uh, uh, problematic issues that, um, uh, let's say, prevents us from uh, making uh, or having dialogue. I mean, when, for example, I write something, let's say, if uh, an Armenian is, an, is, is a nationalist, uh, he or she will see this, uh, let's say, in a, in, a true, in a totally different color, and Azerbaijani will see it in a totally different way. So, but I think that uh, this has to be changed, and I, uh, this is how uh, I try to uh, have a dialogue. I mean, as I said, yeah, my, mostly my political ideology helps me to, to do this. Yeah, and it, it really has shown sort of through my interactions with you and the way sort of you're criticizing sort of a whole array of things and not just one side or the other, but um, thank you. And Harair, how about yourself? Anything do you think about your personal background, about your experiences that sort of helps you interact with the other side with respect? Yeah, uh, the same, same as Umit. Um, I think I'm more individualistic compared to like maybe average Armenian. And uh, especially I was, I think, more individualistic also when I lived in Armenia, but especially when I moved to the Netherlands, uh, I, I see huge difference in the sense of cultural difference. Uh, here and uh, here, I mean, Netherlands is also affected by United States a lot culturally. Uh, uh, your experience, your individuality 
is very important. I may even say your ego is very important and you see the world like the state and the homeland and all other stuff, this type of stuff are to serve you, not the vice versa, which is I think a dominant idea in Armenia. I mean, you should serve to your homeland. This is the dominant idea of the, uh, in, uh, let's say maybe even not dominant, but quite widespread idea in Armenia. Uh, this is the nationalism. So uh, that's the thing again, individualism. I think uh, that helps me to interact uh, easily with others. Just to follow up on that with both of you, do you think it's only sort of individuals who sort of are very individualistic or maybe those who also think in collective terms that are also sort of? You can uh, think, yeah, you're right. You can think also in collective terms, but if that collective terms are not in the framework of national identity or uh, in the framework of uh, nationalistic ideologies. You can be very like collective way thinking about everything, collectivist, uh, but if that's collectivism is uh, let's say left wing and doesn't have to do anything with uh, nationalism or has a little bit to do with nationalism, that's also the way uh, because when when I say nationalism and nationalistic uh, story, I uh, mean that um, like how you see yourself and make sense of your life. Uh, you see yourself as a proud son of, uh, I don't know, 5,000 year old nation, which has a divine some things and it uh, had a glory in the past. And then now you have to serve to get the glory or this type of stuff. Uh, I'm saying this the extreme version, of course, not many people follow this uh, story or make sense of their lives based on this story, but some people do this. And uh, if you see the world in the sense of, let's say, a liberal philosophy, and I mean liberal in very wider sense, like classical liberalism, left liberalism or high liberalism, in general, when you uh, make sense of your lives, when you focus on the individuals and their interactions, in that case, yeah, that's, that's I think, very easy in that case to uh, have a constructive dialogue. Thank you. I mean, I that's... Who was that? Uh, me. <laughs> I, I was saying that I would totally agree with them. Yeah. No, I was just going to say there is, of course, also a wide array of nationalist voices, which speaking in collective terms would also want sort of dialogue. And it doesn't necessarily contradict with a collective sort of identity. Some people might push a sort of dialogue in that direction also. But uh, very interesting insights. Uh, Aidan, let's go to you for the next question. Yes. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear from uh, your uh, personal experiences as you've, as you've sort of discussed, but now we can see that you, the two of you are also quite open um, uh, to dialogue as opposed to let's say many other people. 
So what do you think is the biggest obstacles to constructive dialogue uh, between just regular people? One, you know, from Armenia, one from Azerbaijan. Because the, the level of discourse we see uh, online is very um, low, let's put it this way. Uh, is the question for me? No? Yeah, you can start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I can start. Uh, well, I think the, uh, especially on uh, online discourse, the biggest obstacle right now is the lack of empathy. I mean, uh, people not even try to understand the other side. I mean, they only think that uh, they should prove something to the other side. I mean, they are already predisposed with the idea of, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to uh, uh, tell the truth of, his own side or her own side and uh, they, they don't listen to understand they just listen to you know uh, uh, to debunk the arguments of the other side I mean this is I think the biggest obstacle right now I mean uh, the other thing is uh, you know this what aboutism <laughs> let's say an Armenian for example is writing something about the traumas and uh, um, problems uh, of uh, Armenians are suffering now and uh, one Azari guy, for example, comes and says, what about our, for example, tragedy? Why don't, why aren't you talking about that? I mean, of course, no one is uh, saying that, for example, uh, your tragedy was uh, better, our tragedy was worse. I mean, if I'm talking about my tragedy, it doesn't mean that I am, you know, in some sense, trivializing yours. So we should understand this. This is uh, the other obstacle. And uh, I think the reason why people have this lack of empathy is that we have been isolated for almost 30 years. I mean, I see that especially uh, on online discourses, um, people from both sides don't see each other as real human beings. They see each other as, you know, some bots tweeting and, you know, <laughs> arguing and uh, they don't see them as real people in flesh and bone. I, I, I saw, actually, I, I, I gotta tell you something. Once I saw a tweet from the Azari side, I mean, the guy was saying that, I don't really understand this. Uh, if these Armenians are real people, I mean, are they going to the bathroom? Are they <laughs> doing some real normal people stuff? And uh, the, the funny thing is, after like uh, let's say two weeks or three weeks, I saw exactly the same comment written by an Armenian. And he was like, "Are you guys as there is normal people? Are you going to the bathroom and so on?" So this is uh, this is something that must be you know. Uh, solved, I think it can be only solved by dialogue. I mean, we have to see each other that, okay, we are a real person. And uh, we, although we are not agreeing with each other, at least we have to understand that they are human, real human beings. We are here. I mean, this is something very important. For example, I think if we uh, look back to 90s, uh, we can see that even uh, after that kind of, uh, you know, traumatic war, people from both sides at least were having some interaction with each other in Russia and some other countries. And also uh, leaders of Azerbaijan and Armenia could talk to each other very easily. It was you know, something very normal back then because still uh, people's memories of each other were fresh. I mean, they had seen each other for it during the Soviet times and they had uh, friendships, but uh, our generation unfortunately didn't have this experience for us, you know, uh, I'm talking about from the Azeri side. For us, an Armenian was uh, 
person with beard and with ugly face from the war films about Karabakh and <laughs> it was really uh, you know uh, let's say intimidating uh, subject for us <laughs> so uh, but uh, we have to let's say overcome this issue I think uh, this is the biggest this is the biggest problem lack of empathy because of the isolation and also this uh, you know what aboutism Thanks, Umid. What would you say, Hrayer, uh, are the biggest obstacles for uh, regular people? Yeah, I, I agree with Umid. I think that uh, many people think that they should prove something to the other side, and there is really lack of empathy. But I would add some something else. I think uh, what I noticed uh, is that uh, uh, there is like this in nationalistic attitudes and people who are uh, very nationalistic, they think that they are standing in higher ground morally uh, to judge those who are more individualistic, for example, me, and say, yeah, you are not the real patriot or you are not the real guy, you are too egoistic. Uh, that's, uh, and for many people, this is frightening. Many Armenians may feel like, okay, I'm not gonna do this. I, I don't want to interact with the uh, uh, other side because yeah, what others will think in my country, they, uh, they will blame me for this and that. And of course in uh, Armenian internet, there is a lot of insult slur also. Uh, uh, even current government is uh, blamed for uh, like they they lost the war deliberately or something like this. Uh, I mean, uh, these uh, these attitudes which nationalists have and that they feel that they are standing in high moral ground. I think that's one of the biggest uh, uh, obstacles for having a constructive dialogue. And yeah, again, uh, uh, I'm saying the same idea over and over again that uh, this uh, nationalism, I think, should be uh, eliminated or at least softened in our countries. And then we will uh, have a constructive dialogue and solve the problems peacefully not by killing each other. Can I also add something? <laughs> I mean, uh, during the war, I remember some uh, Azeris were writing like, uh, I have never seen some, uh, I have never seen any adequate Armenian person and Armenians were writing the same. I have never seen any adequate uh, Azeri. But if you looked at their own profiles, you could see that their all job was just tweeting something hateful about the other side. I mean, they were themselves were not the adequate most of the time and they were demanding you know, some kind of adequacy from the other side. I mean, uh, I think uh, most, the biggest problem here is that people are expecting some kind of reciprocation. They think that uh, if the other side is not adequate, I cannot be adequate either. But actually being ad adequate is, uh, good at, is good in itself. I mean, uh, you, you become adequate because it's the right thing to do. You don't become an adequate person just because you know, you're expecting the other side to do the same. So yeah. I think this is the most important aspect. Totally agree. Sometimes uh, I, I can add something. The attitude is this. 
they justify uh, their very, let's say, nationalistic ideas uh, based on, oh, look, uh, Azeris hate us, so we have to hate them too. That's the, uh, that's the logic which they present. And they think that uh, hating Azeris is bad and teaching our kids, our Armenians, I mean, hate Azeris and Turks, it's good because it will save uh, the country. But I'm fully, I, I, I'm sure that uh, this is wrong. Uh, the, the hatred will just kill yourself inside. That's not the way to go. Thanks so much, guys. Great. So let us move on to the next question. And this might sound a bit re repetitive, but I think there could be something we could all add. So, and Umid, first we'll go to you. Uh, can we agree to disagree respectfully regarding matters related to Armenians and Azerbaijanis? And I'll just add an extension there. Or are there topics for which this is impossible to do? Uh, to be honest, I think right now we are in the uh, situation that for Azeris and uh, Armenians, most of the time to agree, uh, to agree to disagree respectfully is actually almost impossible and sometimes very difficult because, I mean, as I said before, we started to know each other, just most of us for a group, I, I think uh, almost two months ago or uh, three months ago. So I, we first of all have to uh, start talking about uh, non-controversial topics. So that, as I said before, we have to understand that we are real human beings, we have feelings, we go to the bathroom and so on. I mean, we have to understand these basic things about us, uh, each other. And only after that, uh, can we uh, come to the point in which we also can, uh, you know, talk about some uh, topics that, uh, you know, are controversial. So uh, I think that it's not a good idea to directly start with the controversial topics. First, we have to start about, you know, just daily things. I mean, which football team, for example, you support? I mean, what's the situation in Armenia about this? And what are the funny things, interesting things about Armenia or Azerbaijan, so uh, let's say. Uh, this kind of things must be uh, discussed first of all. And after that, uh, I think it's a good idea to talk about, you know, things that we don't agree. I mean, people don't know each other very well and start directly talking about, you know, something very sens uh, sensitive, let's say, uh, fragile topics, let's say, uh, um, delicate issues. But um, instead of this, I think we first of all have to know each other. And only after that can we uh, come to the point where we can have respectful dialogues. Thank you. Um, what about you, Harair? Do you think Armenians and Azerbaijanis can agree to disagree respectfully, or are there topics for which this is impossible? It's uh, it's difficult questions. I, I can say only uh, for me, I can agree to disagree respectfully, but uh, uh, I'm not sure about others. I'm not sure about, um, let's say, nationalistic political parties in Armenia. So uh, it's a difficult question. Uh, 
Before, before 1988, many Armenians and Azeris lived together in the same region. I was born, I, I, I wasn't born in Yerevan, I was born in a village close to the second biggest city uh, in Armenia. And a majority of the population in that region were Azeris. And my father can speak uh, Azerbaijanis, can understand perfectly. Uh, they went, I'm not sure they went in the same school or different school, but still they played with each other. What I mean is that just interaction is necessary, but that's not enough for agreeing to disagree respectfully, I think. Because there were this interaction in 1988, in 1989, but that didn't help. The war broke up. People couldn't uh, uh, manage their stuff with just talks. Uh, so yeah, that's the difficult question. That's it. Okay, so uh, I mean, any topic you think you can agree to disagree respectfully almost? Yeah. Yeah. If, it's not too, if it's not too extreme, okay. Yeah, yeah, I can say about myself. I, I think some people, of course, they uh, may not agree uh, to disagree respectfully. Okay, thank you. Anything, Umid, you want to add or? No, nothing. I, I think uh, I already said everything. And also I agree with Ryder. that it's really a difficult question and it's, uh, you know, beyond the scope of this, <laughs> uh, this meeting. So it's something that needs very good study, I guess. Great, thank you. Now, till now, we mostly agree. I mean, almost always agree <laughs> what we both said. So I think that's uh, already a good sign. <laughs> Great. Great. Um, Aidan, you can take over. Yes, I think uh, it's been an interesting uh, uh, discussion, but unfortunately, this might be our last question from, uh, from the moderators. And the question is, um, so uh, each one of you have had some experience uh, engaging or expressing some kind of uh, empathy for the other side. What kind of reactions did you get um, from your own side on this? Did you get uh, like positive reinforcement or did you get some kind of backlash? Could you share a little bit on that? Okay, can I start? <laughs> okay. Uh, I can say that um, actually I didn't get too many reactions. First of all, I don't have so many followers in my current profile. So probably that's because that's why I didn't uh, get so many reactions. And also the people I follow on, on Twitter are usually the people uh, that, I mean, from Azerbaijani side, of course, uh, that uh, I agree with on this kind of issues. So that's why I didn't get so many reactions, but sometimes I got some negative reactions, such as, as, as I said before, uh, you know, uh, what about this, uh, let's say, uh, uh, complaints such as when, for example, when I uh, shared something about, uh, you know, uh, atrocities committed by Azerbaijani side, uh, they were saying, what about their atrocities? Why aren't you sharing about that? I, actually, I was also sharing about those things. I mean, these people were just trying to, you know, uh, discredit me by showing that okay, these these guys uh, only talking about our wrongdoings. 
but uh, it wasn't something serious. They were just, you know, some uh, kind of people uh, that only came to Twitter to uh, argue with other people. Uh, only one uh, real uh, person that I know, uh, real friend, <laughs> let's say, uh, had, you know, some kind of negative reaction about such things. I remember when uh, Stepan Akert was being shelled, I, uh, some people were saying like, well, why aren't they just leaving the city? I, and I quoted this and I said, it's their already home. Where should they leave? I mean, it's, it's just nonsense. And one of my friends unfollowed me because of this. And apart from that, almost nothing else. Go ahead, Freyr. Yeah. No, I'm not active in Twitter at all. And in general, I think Twitter is not active in Armenia, uh, but uh, Facebook is very active in Armenia. And yeah, uh, I got some backlash and also slurs and insults, but I also uh, replied them. I blocked many people. I unfriend some people. But I, if I'm honest, it even wasn't what I expressed in uh, Facebook wasn't that much like um, empathy towards uh, Azeris, but it was mostly like, okay, guys, these seven regions should really be returned to uh, uh, Azerbaijan, yeah, that's 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 uh, that's what we should have done. That's what the right thing to do, and we should have go to uh, compromises and try to end the war. The, this kind of stuff, what I was saying, and then uh, some backlash uh, was there. But also, which is uh, good and um, sometimes also surprising, I got very good reactions. Uh, especially because now I'm uh, like firmly stand on the moral ground, which is not nationalistic. And I can myself blame nationalistic people that you did the disaster and you brought the disaster to the nation. And my arguments are very strong. I mean, at least I think that I have very strong moral ground and some people are, are also support. When I see some insult or slurs, that doesn't affect me a lot. I reply them sometimes adequately. I, I hope I reply them adequately. Sometimes I block them, sometimes they block me. So this is the kind of thing which goes but I'm used to it and it's not it's concerned not only this topic uh, I mean Armenian Azerbaijan relationships but also like uh, domestic political stuff so yeah that's that's my experience great thank you so much guys yeah go ahead Diego thank you guys so um, we're now done with the interview part, so to say, of the meeting. Uh, what we're going to do now is uh, if somebody from the audience would like to ask a question or make a comment, they can send me a message through the chat and I will um, and tell me if, if they want to do it on camera and mic. Also, since we're already towards the end, you can 
I invite you to activate your camera so we can see who's here, you know, like to at least know our faces if you want. Um, so um, I, I, we have a question by William, but I think William, this is the question that, this was the question that was just asked, uh, I mean answered. So I don't know if you still wanna ask or say something, just write to the chat again and I'll, I'll be, and activate your camera so I can see you here on top. Um, and then we have a question by Mary. Uh, Mary, uh, do you want to ask? You were here just now and now I missed you. <laughs> um, and if not, um, just if somebody wants to say something, they can, I think you, there's the option to raise your hand. Uh, okay, it was covered, great. Um, Nasrin, are you raising your hand to talk, to say something? I will activate your audio, just a second. There you go. Um, can I go ahead? Sure. Okay, uh, first of all, thank you all for organizing this. I think this is a great initiative. Um, I think it has great potential and it was really wonderful hearing from both sides and I, I look forward to more of these. Um, I did have a question. You, you talked about, you know, condemning whataboutism and and I, I agree with you. I also disagree with whataboutism. It's important to acknowledge suffering of both sides, but not to turn it into a competition or a challenge. Um, my problem is the utilization or the problem that I witness is the utilization or presentation of one side's suffering in order to demonize the other side. Uh, and especially I, I live in America and I see, um, I, I'm sure that you know a lot of Armenians witness this from their side, but for me, I, I see a lot of anti-Azerbaijani and anti-Turkish sentiment from not just um, you know, Ar Armenians, but also people who are not at all affiliated with the South Caucasus, um, but they have been targets of you know, social media influence about this war uh, from diasporic uh, accounts or people. Uh, and the suffering is, of one side is used to demonize the other side without mentioning the mutual suffering. So how can we combat this? How can we condemn this utilization of the suffering of one side without negating their suffering and experiences or asserting whataboutism? Um, because this type of one-sided presentation does have real consequences. And I mean, it's been presented even to me personally in my interactions. So what are your thoughts on that? Thank you, Nasrin. Um, I don't know if, who would like to answer this question or have some comment. And by the way, I just wanna make a disclaimer that I think we didn't make in the beginning. Um, it's about the names of whatever places we talk about. Like, we're, we're not gonna get into discussion if somebody says Stepanakert or Kajendi or you know, Nagorno-Karabakh or Atsak, we're not gonna discuss about the names. Everyone's free to use whatever name they want and we will not, yeah, if someone corrects someone from what name they use, that's like, we're not gonna go into those discussions. So yeah, sorry about that, but um, who would like to answer this question? Uh, I can just say that it's really difficult question for me. I, I uh, if I say I have an answer how we can uh, stop this what about this and make the um, uh, and uh, feel the pain of the other side. Uh, I think 
I don't have a question. I think uh, probably um, the literature and art may help here. I have heard that some uh, like writers wrote some stuff in Azerbaijan concerning like uh, uh, friendship of Armenians and Azeris. Uh, uh, there is also uh, one uh, painter who painted very nice photos about um, about the war and how society uh, forced young people to die. I don't remember the name, but yeah, something I don't know. I can't remember the name of the painter. He he he's Azeri. Uh, I think probably uh, they more interactions and if the borders will open, uh, if borders are open and then we will start more interact, uh, probably uh, probably some new uh, views in uh, literature and art will appear. I don't know. That's the only uh, that's the, the only idea which comes to my mind now. So I think. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the best solution here is, uh, for example, some let's say somebody is talking about the atrocities committed by Azerbaijanis and condemning uh, those things. I think the best uh, reaction to this is to really listen to that person and try to understand this person's trauma. Maybe uh, you know you will learn something about this person's trauma, and instead of you know. Kind of uh, responding to this person, you just okay say that I know I condemn this uh, uh, atrocities, and without any uh, res response to this person, you can uh, share also your own uh, uh, let's say uh, trauma, your own side's trauma, and let's say for example an Armenian is uh, sharing something about Sungait, for example, and you can share something about Kojal, and without uh, let's say. Uh, writing some uh, response to this person, you can share, you can show that uh, I, for example, I really understand you, I feel your pain, and maybe after this uh, realization, the, the other person will also see that you have good intentions, you try to understand this person, maybe that person will also understand your pain, and that's how I think we can break this cycle. This is, this is a vicious cycle, I mean, one person uh, co uh, condemns the other side's atrocity, the other side starts to respond by, you know, <laughs> uh, playing the card that we also had this trauma. And so this is not, I think, the good way to handle this. I think, I think actually, uh, the, for example, I do this. Uh, I follow many Armenians uh, and they, most, most of them actually don't uh, share anything about the Azerbaijani sites, uh, for example, uh, traumas, but I listen to them, I try to uh, empathize with them, and I, on my own profile, I share about both of these uh, atrocities, and, and I hope that may, maybe one day they will start to see that, okay, I have some good intentions, and they will try to understand me too. As I said before, I don't respect any, I don't expect any reciprocation. Uh, if I am understanding, then they also have to understand. I, I do it uh, for its own sake. I do it because it's something uh, important to do. So I think this is the solution. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, the next question I will take, uh, do you want to activate your camera and 
and ask it yourself. Um, thank you, Nasrin, a lot for your question, by the way. Um, there we go. So I will activate your audio now so you can ask this question. Hi, guys. Sorry, I have a flying baby. Okay. Um, my question. Hi, Dinan. Hi, Dinan. Hi. Hi, Dinan. Okay. <laughs> my question, first of all, Emin and hi. Thank you. This was beautiful. It gave me a lot of hope. Uh, my question to you in imaginary world, um, if you were tasked with solving the conflict, what would be the first reform you would do in your home country, not in the other country? Like, what, what would you do in Azerbaijan and what would you do in Armenia if, 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 if you have the power to do anything? What would be the first thing? <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit a tough question, to be honest. Um, I think this uh, uh, peacemaking is uh, is a very difficult job. So, uh, but uh, what I can say is that I think uh, I would change uh, the general uh, rhetoric of the of the state, and I think. Uh, this is what would what I would do. So I think right now uh, we have to, uh, you know, we are, we are we are so much keen on this uh, historical topics and so on. Uh, but I think uh, this is unproductive. So I would change this. Yeah. Uh, I would change the Armenian history textbooks in uh, schools and universities because there is a lot of um, cherry picking in uh, these school uh, books, I think. And um, yeah, it, it really makes you very nationalistically oriented. So that's the first thing which I would do. I would change the history books. Me too, actually. Thank you. Um, I have a message, a question, or a comment from B, but I don't know what's what's your name, B. But you said you will be able to to share it yourself. So, if you want to activate your camera, and I can give you the microphone to to share it. And also, anybody else who wants to, please put at least your first name or, or nickname or something, so it's more recognizable. So, B, if not. We'll go to next. Um, we also have a comment from a question from Ilkin. Ilkin, would you like to activate your camera and ask it yourself? Um, no, okay. Well, um, Ilkin, now from please. Is he my classmate, Ilkin Hassan? What? It's Ilkin Hussein here. So mm -hmm. the question is, I, I will read it for you then, Ilkin. Um, uh, do you think it is possible, possible for Azerbaijanis and Armenians to live separately as they do now without fighting? Um, why to insist that Azerbaijanis of Hagendi or Hojali should return to Nagorno-Karabakh, while Armenians of Hadrut areas 
Bulgaria return to Hadrut? Is peace possible uh, under certain? Uh, can you repeat it? Uh, Diego, can you repeat it? So I, uh, I didn't get the beginning. Do you think it is possible for Azerbaijanis and Armenians to live separately as they do right now, like this, the new status quo without fighting, like without insisting that any more Azerbaijanis return to what's left of Nagorno-Karabakh in Stepanakert and, and those areas and without the Armenians returning to Hadrut and those areas, do you think it is still possible to have peace without uh, um, interaction? Yeah. I uh, I think the this is less probable. I think uh, uh, there is a sign that uh, this conflict will be handled in some way. There is different uh, ways that the sides can go, but I don't see the big possibility that this new status quo will remain. At least after five years, uh, Azerbaijan can say, uh, we don't want Russian peacekeepers here anymore. And Russia in that case has to go. So it will be already fully other status quo. Uh, from the other side, we see Western countries uh, insisting on returning to negotiations in the framework of Minsk group. And also Russian side said that, yeah, the uh, issue of status quo is not resolved yet, so we're gonna negotiate. So I think some processes also uh, will happen there and this status quo, which is right now, will be changed. But I don't exclude that the, uh, this new status quo can remain like for 10 years or 15 years or maybe even 20 years. But I don't see that it can, uh, remain forever. Yeah, the same. I, I think that uh, this status quo will change and only after that maybe there will be some new uh, some developments on the on the process of peace peacemaking. I think. Thank you guys. And maybe one one of the last questions from uh Sorry, I cannot find your whole name. You were you had your camera just a second ago, but now I cannot find you. From Khratia uh, Glusadian. I don't know if you're still there. He's there. His camera is there. Oh, there you are. I'll after your audio. Hi guys, uh, thank you for the discussion. Very positive and some good thoughts there. I have a question. How do you, how your families are reacting uh, at your uh, thing that are you saying online or offline? Uh, maybe uh, are they pointing at you or are their uh, friends pointing at you and saying some slurs and saying like you are disgrace? What is your experience? My, in my case, my family uh, doesn't say that type of stuff uh, and my close friend doesn't say. If they say they are not uh, my close friends anymore, but uh, I have uh, a big friend list in Facebook and uh, sometimes some people appear who are in my 
friend list and they uh, say some the slurs or this type of, or try to insult me, then yeah, I, I already told I just block them or I reply them the same way or I reply them uh, more, uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I handle this issue, so I don't have problem with that. I don't have problem with my close friend circles and with my family uh, for expressing my uh, not nationalistic views. Let's say like this. Yeah. And can the I same have, here. Sorry. Uh, can I have a um, question? Do you think that blocking these people is the answer? How to solve something? I mean, I don't uh, have a. Uh, aim to change them and I have many people who agree with me uh, so if my aim were like I want to change I'm a politician I want to uh, uh, convey my ideas and uh, convince them to accept it uh, that case blocking would not help of course but because I'm a private citizen, I just express what I think and I'm uh, sure that uh, uh, I stand on a high moral ground, what I'm saying. Uh, that's why uh, I don't have a, like, uh, I don't feel uncomfortable blocking people. You want to answer, Yumi, to this question? Or? Yeah, I, I actually, I was going to say that uh, almost the same situation I have with uh, Prior. I mean, my family are not so much nationalistic. As I said before, uh, previous generations are actually much more open-minded, I think, than our generation because they have had an introduction with, uh, with the other side. I mean, and I, I, I think that they also understand that um, it's impossible to break this vicious cycle unless we finally start, you know, talking to the other side. I mean, uh, how much more bloodshed should we see? I mean, this has to stop somewhere. I mean, this is endless otherwise. So that's why they understand it and they, they are not so much, uh, you know, hateful or anything like that. And I have never had such problems. Also, the same about uh, the same goes for my uh, closest friends, especially. Um, thank you a lot, guys. Thank you, Hracha, for your question. Uh, so now we're gonna go with Paul. Paul, I'm gonna activate your audio now. Hello, everyone. I get. <clears throat> I had just some thoughts from earlier about the. Um, what aboutism and the how to talk about atrocities without it getting caught up because we definitely see that on Twitter. One of the problems of Twitter is that people don't always know each other and they can easily just drop by and out of context, just see one of your posts and then go on about it. So I've definitely seen if I, you know, I try not to post about every single atrocity that comes out because obviously there's a lot of them. And, but sometimes you can't be quiet at the same time. Sometimes you have to, especially I feel our meetings were kind of shell-shocked by the number that were coming out. And I'm not saying that there weren't ones by our meetings against Azerbaijanis and maybe just they weren't photographed in the ways that the ones from Azerbaijan was, but the sheer number of them really made it hard to stay quiet all the time. But anyway, 
I do sometimes have posted about the other side atrocities, but people don't see that. They see me post one time about something that is an atrocity by Azerbaijanis against Armenians, and then becomes the what about starts again and again and again, and we just keep going in circles. And it's very hard to get out of that cycle because there's always new people that are going to find you, and there's always new people that are going to drop in and make you sound like you're a hypocrite. Um, somebody mentioned about blocking. I try not to block as much as possible, but I've certainly gotten blocked by a lot of people. And at the same time, so I had somebody a couple of days ago, I was posting about Hudan Dink, and there was a random person who was just posting to everything I, everything I said about, you know, here is the population of Azerbaijanis in Yerevan province in 1850. I'm like, I'm talking about Hudan Dink. This is completely unrelated, but they were just trying to get in their little bits of propaganda. So anyway, um, I'm just trying to say that it's a very hard thing to do and we're never going to fix it. I've had people say, as Armenian, it's your job to condemn every Armenian that says a bad thing. And, and, and I said, you know, in some degree, yes, of course we have to speak up, but people will point to a certain thing and say, you didn't criticize that. Again, we can't criticize every little thing that ever happens on Twitter. So it's, it's, it's a great platform that we can get to know each other because um, I, people were saying at the beginning, you know, not understanding Azerbaijanis. I did something like this with Armenians and Turks back in 15 years ago now uh, in the lead up to Hunan Dink being assassinated actually before that even happened. And I became, I started to understand Turks for the first time. And I think in a way the war really helped me to understand Azerbaijanis too, because before that, the only Azerbaijanis I ever was exposed to were like propaganda, strong propaganda ones to the point where I found them so irrational. And I said, Turks are much easier for me to understand than these Azerbaijanis. But now this is allowing me to see people from the Azerbaijani side who are very, very rational as well. Like Umit, and he, he has, you know, I'm very, very impressed by his ways of going through things. So anyway, that's, I know we're getting near the end, but those are just some of my thoughts about how we kind of tie this all together. And we can't always act based on what people are throwing at us because we're never going to do that. I think the only way forward is just getting to know individuals, individual people for who they are and just not put your whole government's idea onto them. Because yeah, people say to me, why did you do this war crime? Why did you? I said, no, I didn't do it. I don't even know the person who did it. I'm not defending them. They don't speak for me. And in the same way, someone who does an Azerbaijani war crime, it doesn't speak for them. We just have to know each other for who we are and just see what that leads to. So thank you. Thank you, Paul. Uh, and now we have, uh, we're gonna do, I think, two more questions and then we're gonna close. Uh, we're gonna go from Brandon uh, Balayan. If you can, I'll activate your, there you are. Hi, hello. Um, my name is Brandon, I'm from uh, Los Angeles. I just had a question. So I was, I'm reading uh, Black Garden by Thomas DeWall and a part of the book, it's towards the beginning, he talks about the narcissism of minor differences and basically touching upon how two groups who are extremely similar phenotypically, culturally, they tend to pick out the very minor differences in one another in order to, and, and these differences are kind of, it says the larger it, is, it was bound to loom in their imagination 
in terms of these differences. And I think a part of this has to do with the nationalism, like uh, Hadid was talking about. So how do we combat these nationalists when they are trying to point out these minor differences in, in one another, be it uh, religion, minor aspects in culture, when um, phenotypically, culturally, we're more or less very similar. Yeah, yeah. I, I usually point out the similarities. I say, yeah, there is also differences, uh, but similarities are much more. And uh, I also point out that, for example, uh, in culturally we are to, more closer to each other than like Armenians and Western countries, for example, or I mean the Armenians who are living in Armenia. Uh, or uh, Armenians and Russians. Uh, because uh, the Armenians who were born in Armenia and lived there, they, they, they really interacted with each other during the Soviet time. And it was the same country, same ideology. Uh, I, I even noticed that in the sense of how much we are religion, Armenians and Azerbaijans, it's almost the same, which was very surprising for me. At the beginning, I thought that, yeah, they're gonna be very Islamistic and they're gonna be like the um, religious people who pray every day or a few times a day. But when I saw them, most of them were in their everyday life quite uh, secular. So yeah, that's the thing. I just point out uh, uh, the similarities. The same. I mean, sometimes when people, uh, uh, for example, my relatives or people who are not my close friends, then when they talk about uh, Armenians in a very negative tone, I start talking about similarities that we have. Also, I share with some my positive experiences with some, you know, let's say adequate <laughs> Armenians. And I see that after this, they start saying, okay, uh, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe we haven't seen, for example, Armenians. That's why we have this, at least they, they, they seem more you know, close to the idea that, yeah, maybe they are wrong after hearing such experiences or you know, some kind of uh, facts about our similarities. Uh, that's why I, I agree with Farid on this. Yeah, one more thing to add, I think it's um, specifically in Los Angeles because it is, I mean, Glendale specifically is a very homogenous, not homogenized, but it's, it's a large Armenian population over there. And um, in Los Angeles, you don't, you don't come across a lot of Azerbaijani people. So in a sense, I think sometimes people in Los Angeles are much more nationalistic than even some people in Armenia and abroad, which is honestly surprising to me. But um, um given what I'm dealing with in Los Angeles, I think I'll take what you guys' advice and at least try with family members and, um, uh, and other friends and stuff like that. You think uh, most of the people in Glendale, they uh, arrived there after the collapse of Soviet Union or it's like the old diaspora? Of um, my family certainly did. My family came to Los Angeles I think in 1976 so um, it, it was it was much before my my uh, they left the, the Lebanese Civil War and then my mom's side left towards the beginning of uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union so it's a mix it's a it's, it's a mix I, I couldn't tell you but um, 
I'm sure there's other diasporans from uh, from from the early early 20th century as well. But I, I mean, I haven't come across them. Great, thank you, Brandon. Thank you, guys. And I think for the last question, since we're we're gonna we're gonna reach in, we're reaching the the time, uh, it's gonna be Marat. So hopefully, also a future guest. <laughs> so Marat, you wanna activate your camera so I can find you. There you are. All right. Hi, guys. Nice to see everyone. Um, my question is kind of for the two guests, but also, Paul, uh, if you want to chime in here, I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, I wanted to know how important you guys think having more third party and objective reporting and storytelling of the conflict would be. Um, I know it seems like all we have is Duval and he seems to anger uh, people from both sides enough because, you know, they feel like he doesn't really represent their side. Um, to their liking and so do you hope to see more commenting in this conflict from somebody that isn't directly tied to or commissioned or working on behalf of either side um, because one of my least favorite aspects of this conflict is whenever someone gives their opinion and i mean there's certainly a whole lot of bad actors so you know i don't want to discredit that but the the anytime that somebody expresses um an opinion the very first sort of way to knock them down is to assume they're a shill or assume that they're um, you know, being paid really for, from uh, the lobby of the, the other side. Um, and so for me, one thing I really hope to see is how we are able to come to um, being within the same reality of um, understanding the facts. And usually that, that, that would be from something like, um, like a black garden or a wall, um, even with the flaws that it comes with. So I just wanted to see your guys' uh, take on that. Who would like to answer? And if not, we also have a um, <laughs> I Let's try to begin. No, no. Uh, I, I couldn't hear the question clearly. Uh, something, uh, the, the voice was a bit. Like, uh, do you think uh, how important it is to have third party people commenting about the conflict rather than just Azerbaijanis and Armenian, like third party people yeah. that are not uh, tied to yeah. the conflict? Yeah, it's a difficult question, but um, uh, yeah, I think it's important because when you are inside that system, and uh, you look uh, only through the lenses or through the ideologies which with which you grow up, uh, it's difficult uh, to think outside the boxes. Yeah, uh, it's good that uh, sometimes there, there is the third part, and they say, yeah, they emphasize, uh, they they, uh, they see both sides and they comment, and uh, uh, you can see. Uh, through them, you can see yourself uh, uh, from from the other point of view. Let's say like this. Yeah, I think it's important. I think uh, if uh, if many you know, Westerners or Ra Russians, I don't know, they write about this conflict, they give comments, uh, they try to be balanced. Uh, that would help. Uh, Armenians and Azeris to reach some common ground. 
Yumit, want to say something? Yeah, I also think that for finding a common ground, this kind of uh, third-party sources are really important. But at the same time, I think that uh, when people are uh, biased from the beginning, uh, they will not accept even those uh, balanced accounts. I mean, they will say that, for example, I see actually, I have seen uh, these comments from both sides saying that, as Marat mentioned, for example, the wall is, you know, for example, being funded by Armenians or Azerbaijanis. And even uh, this kind of accounts are being discredited if you are, you know, uh, not willing to accept <laughs> reality. So, uh, unfortunately, for some people, it's just it's just, it's just a matter of proving uh, their own you know uh, narrative. So, uh, although it's very important, but I think it's not enough. I mean, unless we'll see more people from each side uh, who are trying to be more balanced, I think. Uh, with just relying on third parties, we cannot uh, reach any uh, real results. Yeah, agree. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, I always say it's the last question, but I'm going to read a comment of someone who cannot uh, doesn't have a camera right now, and then the last, very last question for now. Uh, so this comment is from, I think the name was Bagir, or Bar Bangir. Um, it says, um, First of all, I think we should acknowledge that it is basic human nature to have a sense of belonging to a group or national identity. As a result, it is hardly possible to have unbiased approach. And many times we end up having feelings or opinions opposite group will find offensive. Um, it is vital to be open about inevitability of hurting each other. That means we should not try hardly to filter those opinions and be more honest about them. That is one of the important steps to take forward, in my opinion. So that's, thank you for your opinion. Uh, so I wanted to say something. If not, I'll, I'll just go to the last question. I tend to agree. What? I tend to agree with this opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my remark is uh, there is many group identities and it doesn't necessarily uh, uh, require you to uh, consider your national identity is the biggest or the most important part of your identity. Great. Thank you, guys. Um, I, there's a, just a comment by Hov, I guess, Hovanes. I see that the short names, I don't know how to see the full names in the questions. Hovsep, he says that Lawrence Browers, probably some of you know him, um, he's a British scholar, has a relatively new book. Uh, which they say it's very insightful. He hasn't read it yet, but I suppose he's recommending it to everyone to check it out. I'm planning to read it. Great. Yeah, he's, he's great. I've seen him on, on many webinars. And then the last question um, by Arpine. Um, what do Khair and Yumit think about the role of Russia and Turkey in this conflict? And what kind of effect do this countries, Russia and Turkey, have in building hate narratives between Azerbaijan and Armenia? I think Russia has huge role. I think uh, Turkey trying to show that it also has a big role, but that's not the case. And compared to Russia, Turkey has very small role. I think that uh, this war, if I say 
um, this war was allowed by uh, Russia and the uh, involvement of Turkey in this war was allowed by Russia because they wanted to change the status quo in this region and Armenians were opposed to it, both the pre-revolutionary government and a revolutionary government. So I think, yeah, that's, uh, Russia has a huge role. Uh, Russia had also role in uh, forming the anti-Turkish narrative in Armenia started from let's say 1960s because when Turkey when Turkey uh, was part of the NATO, from uh, if I'm not mistaken, from 1950s, somewhere like that. After that, uh, anti-Turkish narrative were allowed in Soviet Union, and uh, many nationalistic attitudes and trends in Armenia, which are we witnessing now, they are based on this stuff which happened in 1960s and 70s in. Uh, let's say elite circles of uh, Soviet Armenia. So yeah, Russia has a huge role in both uh, uh, forming the narratives in our countries, uh, in um, in uh, in hate speech probably also. But I would not say that everything Russia decides. I think uh, both Armenia and Azerbaijan has. Uh, enough independence to uh, change uh, the trends which we have been witnessing till now and to change the narrative. I think we have enough independence, although Russia has a huge influence. Yeah, I almost agree with everything you said. Right. Um, so yeah, that was the last question. Um, now we go to closing words. If you guys would like to say some last words, uh, also our moderators or the, co the host, and, and also I've opened the chat in case you anybody wants to write something, you can now write freely. And also, if you want to say like something, you can also activate your camera and like just a comment to say goodbye. So. Um, who would like to say some first, last words? Aidan, okay, great. Yes, I would like to say something. Um, first of all, thanks so much, Umid and Claire, for uh, coming in and everyone uh, coming in to listen. I think it was a great uh, uh, beginning as an introduction to dialogue, how we uh, set it out to be. And I think we can use this as an example of uh, our ability to conduct dialogue um, in a constructive way. So that's my reflection from my side. I'm uh, quite happy with uh, this first meeting. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I also want to thank Harair and Umid. It was very insightful. Thank you for being on. And I'm, I actually have to say that I'm surprised by the huge amount of support from both sides we have received and the sort of the large number of participants and people who are interested. So that has actually exceeded my expectations. So thank you to our audience and to everyone who tuned in for our first meeting. Yeah, th thank you for organizing this. I also think it went 
uh, better than expected. Yeah. I also want to thank you for inviting me this and uh, to this project and also for organizing this project. Uh, and I hope that it will be the starting point of something bigger. And I hope that we'll see uh, some more initiatives like this in the future, which will have more audience. Uh, but for the start, it was actually much better than I expected. Yeah, thank you both for joining our first uh, meeting. And thank you, of course, to the co-hosts for daring to do this. Um, we, we hope that this will, I mean, now we are, we're only around 40 people, but online, this will be available to a much wider audience. So I think we have set a good uh, first uh, example of how things can work. So we're, I'm really, really helpful, help, grateful to all of you for having taken part and also for the audience for your constructive uh, answers and, and comments. I think it's been great. Um, so thank everybody for joining um, and we'll see you, we'll tell you when soon. <laughs> and, and yeah, we, and if you wanna take part on, if you wanna be part as a guest or something, or you wanna help us with the initiative, you can just message us on, on Twitter or we also have an email account, uh, brightgardenvoices at gmail.com, well, from which you should have gotten the invite. So you have the email address. So yeah, uh, thank you all, everybody. And yeah, nobody wants to say something else. Well, we have everybody thanking in the chat, so you can uh, check the chat. So yeah, thank you, everybody. Okay, take care and see you Bye. next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. <clears throat>